Welcome, everyone. I'm really excited for this podcast. I have uh, Brenda Marie Davies on today, uh, who you may or may not know. You probably, if you do know her, you'll probably know her as uh, Goddess Grey. Um, has an amazing YouTube channel, Instagram, probably on a whole host of other different platforms that I'm not aware of myself. Um, but we're going to talk about all sorts of things. But Brenda is a sex positive Christian. Uh, I saw you build as that. Is that correct? Yes, yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, why, don't you, um, why don't you start us off by just letting us know a bit about yourself. What, what, what is a sex positive Christian? Who are you? A bit of a journey. Just like a little kind of um, thing to kind of start us off as far as who you are and what you're about. Yeah, for sure. Um, I am deeming myself sex positive, LGBTQ affirming, science affirming um, Christian. Because <laughs> um, unfortunately, some of those things are, you know, supposed to not be synonymous, but I think they actually are synonymous with God. I think the more you learn about science, the more it illuminates the beauty of spirituality and the truth of like God and his majesty. And then the more that you dive into your own sexuality and really embracing what I've been calling sexual integrity over sexual purity and abstinence and this obsession with like doing everything right. You know, it's kind of, for me, sex positivity in Christianity is about aligning your sexuality with your spirituality, um, considering them something that must be intricately woven together and going hand in hand so that you're honoring your body and your partners and, um, and your spirituality, that you're not creating discord or compartmentalizing yourself. My sex life is here. My spirituality is there, which I think a lot of us, especially in evangelicalism, have been forced to do. Because if you are LGBTQ or if you're even just like me, just some chick that had trouble abstaining because, you know, hormones <laughs> and, um, you know, then you're going to feel that discord and you're going to suddenly feel like because you're a sexual being or because you're not fitting in this perfect Christian paradigm, you're not allowed to communicate with God anymore. Mm. And, um, and I think that's a great tragedy. So that's one of my main passions um, of subjects that I like to talk about, but I also love getting into politics and I'm, I'm not a fan of our president in the United States whatsoever, you know, so I just, I'm trying to teach them global warming is real and, you know, birth control isn't a sin and just anything I can touch on that drives me insane about what evangelicals are supposed to believe versus what I just instinctually and spiritually believe for my own Christian faith. So you must be the favorite guest at Thanksgiving dinner, right? <laughs> <laughs> Cracking out all these topics. <laughs> um, my family is like, it's not even an even split. It's a, my poor dad against the world. Oh, <laughs> he, no. He's a Trump guy, but he's also in his 70s. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, the whole concept of make America great again. I sympathize with that Trump saying because my dad's family emigrated from Poland and they were mm -hmm. able to rise up and make something out of nothing. And, and my dad graduated from college and immediately bought a house and immediately created a family. So the America that he's familiar with was great. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. For him. And I'm like, well, dad, I can't afford health insurance and yeah. I can't even dream of buying a house. Like, 
the America I'm in isn't as great as the one that you remember. And, you know, as white people, we've, I've really been obviously humbled to realize how different even my experience has been this whole time. America was never great for a lot of people. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me about that a bit, because so your dad's coming from a very different place to where you are right now. But was that always your position? Were you growing up always a bit of a thorn in the sides going, well, I'm not really sure I see it this way? Or have you kind of gone on quite a bit of a journey as far as changing who you are politically? I mean, we can talk about the sex stuff, but I mean, as a whole, I mean, you mentioned like sex, LGBTQ. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you've mentioned race there. You've mentioned uh, immigration, potentially, <laughs> you know, politics, science, you know, all the hot topics that like, you know, conservative versus liberal, you know, these dualistic kind of ideas. Like, yeah, that's that's quite a, a difference. Was that normative for you to be on the other side or? No, not at all. I, um, I was raised Roman Catholic and I always tell people, you know, a lot of people are like, why are you even Christian? Just ditch the Christianity if it's causing all of this cognitive dissonance and all this complication. But I've always resented the fact that because I saw things from a different perspective that I find personally aligned with Jesus and the way he walked on this earth, that I'm supposed to denounce my faith just because I'm not fitting in to the way evangelicalism is, you know, telling us we have to be. So, you know, my passion and the reason I'm stretching across so many subjects is because I guess I would mostly define myself as someone that is trying to bridge these gaps and trying to encourage people that are experiencing cognitive dissonance in their faith to really dive into these topics and be like, if the LGBTQ issue or the race issue or the global warming issue is causing so much friction, maybe our pastors are, you know, messing with us a little. Maybe we're being manipulated by politicians and like just helping them, you know, figure out where they're being spiritually manipulated as people. Um, But for me, I definitely didn't always see it that way. I was just as naive as any, you know, as a lot of people. I was like, 15 years old doing anti-abortion posters in my art class and um i was was this in a christian school no i was in a a, a secular school and you're making anti-abortion i was was the the coolest girl in public school that's amazing uh, (laughs) yeah i was doing anti-abortion artwork i was arguing with my biology teacher about evolution i was praying on the front lawn of the school and um i actually have a great fondness for this girl in my head that I, I know that I used to be because it all came from such a pure heart. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about not ditching the people of my faith either. Um, because I know that everything comes from a pure place, even when we are deeply and profoundly hurting people. Yeah. I remember the lessons that I was taught and why I believed the things that I did. And my channel is called God is Gray because these situations, these very nuanced topics are always presented as black and white. Like the abortion issue is a perfect example. And at 15 years old, I was taught people are killing babies. And as a 15 year old girl, a virgin, you know, I'm like, oh my God, people are killing babies. If you're not outraged by people (laughs) killing babies, you know, when you're told, oh, in this country, there are millions of people killing millions of babies every year. If that doesn't make you angry and make you make a poster in art, like you are a terrible person. 
if you believe it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And even, um, you know, there's this lie being told in America among a lot of conservative people. And Trump said it. It was actually the fault of some Democratic people that misrepresented one of the abortion bills. But basically, Trump did this whole rally speech where he was like, do you know that women are having babies, perfectly healthy babies, and they're swaddling them up and they're putting them aside and the doctors and the mother are determining whether or not to kill the baby. This is infuriating because mm-hmm. it's coming from the mouth of our leader and, um, and it's obviously completely untrue. Infanticide is 100% illegal in every state in yeah. the United States of America. Um, but I was thinking about that to your point. I was like, wait, if you Christians actually think women are having perfectly healthy babies and people are committing infanticide, you shouldn't just be making YouTube videos. You guys should be be like storming every hospital being like, what the hell? And you know what? I'll join you if that's happening. I will be right alongside of you screaming like that is just not happening. And that's what I'm trying to tell them. I know I'm off on a tangent, but basically I was that girl. Yeah. I was definitely the girl that saw everything in black and white. And, um, but, you know, I've also acknowledged when I was experiencing cognitive dissonance. And I think my greatest complication, I was a theater nerd. And I was always around many LGBTQ people. And um, that never resonated. I was always like, how come everything that I hear about God, you know, goes to my heart and I sense it even when you feel I keep telling my audience to the difference between shame and conviction I believe shame is from external sources something that gets piled on you that causes you a lot of pain Mm. whereas conviction is like this gentle voice the inner holy spirit that like hangs your heart and you realize you have to go in a different direction or whatever And with LGBTQ issue, I was like, I only see shame. I feel no conviction about this. Mm. I feel no conviction that what you're telling me is right. Um, So that was my dad and I's first major argument that we kept having again and again for many years. But otherwise, I organized the chastity ceremony at my church when I was 15. I was the one that's like, let's do this, guys. Wow. So what is a chastity service? I mean, because here's the thing. I mean, I I grew up evangelical. So uh-huh. well, I grew up evangelical in the UK. I only moved over to the States like in my 20s. Like, so we just don't have a grid for, you know, we got hit by purity movement cards, but like, we just weren't having chastity services. You know what I mean? It's like, we just, yeah. no, you're too far gone. No, no. <laughs> so like, for, for people that don't know what that is, like explain what that even is. Because I'm fascinated by these kind of things. Um, well, so the purity movement in itself is quite fascinating. Um, and I've been researching more about how a lot of those toxic messages were formed and the roots of that and like puritanicalism in the United States and stuff, Mm. which goes back, you know, hundreds of years, but really in the 1980s, this movement called true love weights got huge. And I think it was thousands, if not 10,000s of kids went to Washington, D.C. and publicly like on the lawn of the uh, White House pledged their virginity to their husbands and wives. And um, 
books came out, Bibles came out that were complete, like a true love weights. Yeah, Bible. the true weights Bible. Yeah, I heard of that. Yeah, which is crazy because now. Like because 80, 90% of the Bible was about waiting before marriage <laughs> have sex, right? Dude. I mean, that's what the Bible is about. It's worth having a dedicated version solely about that topic. Dude, that's what I've said. I've said that. I'm like, I've said this. I'm like, Christians, the way we present sexuality, you would think the entire Bible was a manual on sex. And the True Love Bi uh, Waits Bible actually did make it a manual on sex, which I actually find blasphemous. I'm like, you guys are twisting and perverting all of these verses that have nothing to do with sex to make them about sex. Like, that is not... <laughs> That's, yeah, gosh. That's despicable. That's blasphemy. I don't know how you're getting away with that and justifying it. Um, I've heard many verses perverted into being about sex. I'm like, that's not about sex. I think sex is mentioned in the Bible about six times. Wow. Um, fear is mentioned 90 times. Pride is mentioned as the largest sin above all else. Giving to the poor and helping the needy is elevated above all the things you can do. And in evangelicalism and this purity movement, it became sex and being sexually pure and heterosexual and heteronormative is the most important thing mm. a Christian person can be. And that is not true of the Bible at all. Yeah. Um, I'm on another tangent. This purity is, balls. This podcast, <laughs> it's, it's lifeblood is a tangent. <laughs> purity balls. Um, I, we didn't have a ball. There are some you can watch very depressing and creepy uh, documentaries on YouTube about purity balls um, in the South, primarily. Are we talking like purity balls as in like a dance? Yeah, it's kind of like okay. a quinceanera. Not, or we're not talking about male genitalia. I, I literally, for a second, said, wait, what is a purity ball? Oh my gosh. Okay, go. Okay, yeah. you perv. <laughs> I'm literally like, I have, well, we're talking about sex. You're talking about balls. I have no <laughs> Okay, go, go, go. A ball. Think of Cinderella. Yeah, okay. <laughs> purity balls. So people get together and dance and celebrate that they're going to abstain. Not not people it's always the girls uh, as okay. young as five and eight years old um dressed in like these princess gowns going to these balls with their fathers and their father is dancing with them and they're pledging their virginity and um oh. and i just find that so you know i i'm so disturbed to see an eight-year-old girl and you know the fathers it's like what's the saying about like all all roads to hell are paved with good intentions like yeah. i see these fathers and i'm like i know what you're trying to do you in your head think you're protecting your daughter from the pain she's going to experience with sex and getting her heart broken and unwanted pregnancy and all of these things that no one would want their child to experience mm -hmm. um but or actually i take that back i think those are important experiences for people to have yeah. Yeah. Um, but I understand the intention of these fathers, yeah. but kneeling down in front of an eight-year-old and saying, hey, I'm your father, it's important to me that you stay sexually pure for me, your father, for God, your father. Um, ugh, like, the, I can't even so imagine. 
pressure if my dad had done that to me. Well, the thing is with that, right? So you, you stop and like take a step back and go, well, actually, this is really biblical in a sense, because in the biblical times, that's what they probably were doing to some degree, going, oh, here's an eight-year-old yeah. girl. We'll get her mm-hmm. dressed up. We'll parade her and go, who wants to buy her? We've kept her pure, and we promise to keep her pure until she's ready to be fed. Right. Right? right. And, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this is actually kind of this like kind of dark like mirror of like very unhealthy practices that have gone on for millennia right yeah it's true I tell I tell people that too when they're saying like um I say I'm sorry not sorry to be controversial but save yourself for marriage that phrase is nowhere in the bible and Mm. And the reason virginity was such an imperative in the Bible is because, yes, women were the property of their fathers until they were the property of their husbands. And, you know, I tell people there's no white wedding dresses, there's no cakes, there's no guys getting down on one knee and romantically proposing. We are talking about, you know, if you were in Solomon's court, you are one of thousands of women that he's having sex with um, and you're supposedly marrying him and maybe you're 12 years old. You know, like, these are actually acts of, I'm sure, violence and sexual violence and rape and, you know, child And a lot of of the time, not even sexual even, it's actually about establishing some sort of connection with a foreign nation or a tribe, something. You know, yes, there's all that really horrific violent abusive kind of stuff that's going on as well which let's not even begin to talk about how our heroes are doing such terrible things but you know we look at all these people in the bible all these all these amazing male heroes just not so many females to focus on and and they're all marrying children and none of them a date right you know dates existed probably 150 200 250 years ago are the first few dates that exist in history (laughs) you know this is modern concept where we romanticize all but no when we read the bible and it's like oh this person met this person and they (laughs) fell in love and it's like no no no. this person's parents probably bought that person and then they got married and hopefully they fell in love hopefully yeah who knows right so so different you know the, the concept Yeah, although I would like to bring up something interesting that's just popped in my head, which is the um, book Song of Songs. Mm. Are you familiar? Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's literally like a a mini erotic novel in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And, um, And it's actually beautiful. And it's written from both a male and a female perspective. And the female's voice is given just as much importance and she says erotic things and she is you know they are very sexually aroused and drawn and like in love with each other and I've heard that perverted as well into oh God wasn't that was never about sex this was about God's feeling towards the church and I'm like Okay, so God wants to spiritualize this to avoid any form of sexuality, right? I know. And I'm like, what do you mean? God wants to bang the church? Like, I, you know, I definitely. Oh, gosh. Like, this, like, I mean, the analogies in that, you're talking about blowjobs and Uh all sorts of stuff. That's what God's talking about with us. I know. I feel uncomfortable with that. (laughs) Exactly. And it just blows my mind that Mm. we have such a puritanical idea of sex and evangelicalism, and yet. It's like, if you believe that the Bible is inspired by God, and I don't believe every single word is God pressing people's pen to paper, I believe it is definitely 
a collaboration of many authors um, and their stories and their mistakes and their flaws. These are very flawed, fallible individuals. But I think that's the point. God wanted to present the Bible to us in a way that showed our humanity. Like there are stories of people that were desperately searching for God and trying to do their best, but ruining it all the time. And if you do believe that the Bible is inspired by God, I think it's imperative as a Christian to consider, okay, why is Song of Songs in there? Mm. Is that an oversight? Did God accidentally let an erotic novel in the book? And he's like, oh, crap, I can't believe, you know, it's just like, that is in there for a reason. Why? Like, ask yourself. And I think it's because eroticism and sensuality and sexuality and this connection that we have as human beings, our potential to have as human beings, and allowing God into that connection and allowing that to be a really spiritual, whole-bodied and soul and, Mm. you know, experience with somebody is important. You know, it was important enough to be put in the Bible. Right. So you talked about earlier, right in the beginning, you talked about sexual integrity, not just sexual yeah. purity. Yeah, I'm using mm-hmm. quotes for people who are listening to this. Um, <laughs> yeah. that, but I'm assuming that's kind of what you're talking about here when you're talking about that, this important element of sexuality and embracing that, that this is part of what you would call sexual integrity. Could you, could you talk about that and maybe how it differs from sexual purity, sexual integrity? I can't remember if that's what you contrasted it with earlier. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. No, that's exactly it. Yeah. I, um, I got that idea. Actually, I can't remember who proposed that statement first. Um, actually it's a woman named Dr. Julie Slattery and her and I disagree about a lot of things, primarily LGBTQ issue. And she believes masturbating is a sin. So her and I definitely, you know, our paths definitely don't Mm -hmm. fully cross, but she has this idea about sexual integrity over purity. And she is also trying to take away that anxiety that people have about abstinence and being perfect and being pure. Um, so for me, I obviously take it many steps further than her because I am truly sex positive in, mm. in every way. And my journey is that I did this purity ceremony at 15. I pledged myself at 22 years old. I was like, oh my God, where is my husband? I'm going to die. I need to have <laughs> Why sex. did I make that pledge? <laughs> It took you seven years and that was it. You were like, I regret this. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm a girl that was, uh, sorry for TMI, but masturbating since I was five years old. So I've always been a very sexual being, as I believe many of us are. Not everyone, but many of us. And um, so, you know, I was very, I was overripe and over ready. And I was like, oh my God, even if I meet this man, I'm going to have to court him for how many years? I'm going to have to plan a wedding. Like, I'm going to actually die. So I ended up, and this happens to a lot of Christians that I talk to, where you're trying, I call it this pendulum, where you're trying so hard for perfection. You're like, I will be perfect. I will be perfect. Um, You know, not to get too dark, but I also blame this pendulum for what happens in the Catholic Church Mm. um, with the pedophilia stuff. Like, you're held to such a level of like unnatural, I would say even inhumane, you know, need to be perfect. And in evangelicalism, it's the same thing. I have to stay pure. I have to be with this one person forever in a heterosexual relationship. 
Um, and if anything happens that breaks the pendulum, and for me, that was that the first part of it breaking was that I started really researching and trying to figure out what the Bible actually said about marriage. I was, I want to do this very mindfully. I'm not just going to give my virginity away. I have to research this. And that's when I started learning about the polygamy and the child brides and the fact that save yourself from marriage isn't in there. And I was like, okay, I'm just compromising because I'm dying to have sex. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, I did end up sleeping with someone. And I, this is what I consider the pendulum. It's like, instead of saving myself from marriage with my true love, I slept with someone that I had just met that meant nothing to me because I, it felt like a scratch that I needed to itch. I was like, I just have to get rid of this so that I can move on with my life and become a somewhat normal person because this is really weighing on me. And, um, and I think for anyone who knows, you know, sexual desire is a very strong desire mm -hmm. and submitting to that can be quite easy. It's, it's hard to do when you reach that point, you know, of frustration um, the second pendulum or the second time a pendulum broke was then I was like, okay, I'm married because I ended up marrying him. Okay. I was going to say that's a big like gap. Yeah. Like, oh, oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. So basically I slept with this guy I didn't even know. And then he ended up pursuing me really hard. He really liked me. He didn't even know that I was a virgin. I ended up admitting it. And then he was like, oh my God, I love you even more than, you know, he was just like, whatever. And um, I ended up really feeling, I felt so guilty and so ashamed. And I was like, okay, maybe this is my husband. Maybe God sent this man to me because he knew that I was going to give my virginity away. And maybe I'm just supposed to be with him. Wow. So I ended up marrying him out of guilt. And I even remember, you know, and I'm, I'm sad to say it because I feel bad for my husband, actually. We were, I was 24 and he was 23. And um, I think it was even sweet that he agreed to marry me. It's, it was just crazy. But I remember all the anxiety I felt walking down the aisle, like everything felt wrong because it was wrong. Um, but no one was there to really say, you know, there was no permission to ask myself questions which is another thing I want to give my audience like if something feels so very wrong and you're doing it just because your pastor told you so maybe it's wrong <laughs> maybe you're right you know because I just had people encouraging it you know like oh well you did sleep with him yeah maybe this is your way to redeem that sin and it's just crazy so I ended up marrying him and then thank God two years into our marriage, he admitted that he was cheating on me the whole time we were dating. Wow. And I say, thank God, because that was the first time I had permission to actually question everything that I'd been taught. And this was the second time the pendulum broke because then I was like perfect wife and I'm going to be with him forever. And we're going to live happily ever after. And when he told me he cheated on me, it's like the pendulum swung all the way to the other side. And then I was like, what is Christianity? I'm not even, I'm not remotely perfect anymore. I'm not pure. My marriage is a sham. Mm. And I ended up going on what I call a tramp page. Because <laughs> I left him and the other side of the pendulum of perfection is just sleeping with everybody. And I just felt 
so desperate to figure out what is sexuality, what's the art of seduction, what's sensuality, what does it feel like to totally abandon this idea and, and go in the other direction. And um, now I would consider myself in the middle where I think people are supposed to be. I would like to raise my children and raise up my audience to be in the middle of this pendulum where it's like you are centered, you are allowed to ask yourself questions, you are allowed to consider what if it's okay to be gay? What if it's okay to have premarital sex? Just ask yourself those questions and trust that God is going to give you the conviction, not shame, conviction to know what the answer is for your personal sex life. And I think nothing is more personal and individual than sexuality. And almost nothing to me is a better opportunity to align yourself with God because it is so spiritual and beautiful at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And then on the pendulum, if you're there in this healthy space of moderation and gray, understanding the nuance and you have a one night stand with someone and it's disgusting and you hated it and you didn't wear a condom and you feel so much regret. It's like, okay, you swung this way a little bit. Now you're back to center. Why didn't that feel good? How would you like to proceed next time? You know, do you want to have one night stands? Is that something that you didn't feel good about? You know, allowed to ask yourself those questions. And that to me is sexual integrity. You're inviting God into that space. You're not living in either extreme. And on the, in the extreme of promiscuity, which I don't judge anyone for, I was there, um, on that extreme, you have to, as a Christian, shut yourself off from God in those experiences because you know, you know, or you like are thinking, I'm so wrong, I'm doing so much bad stuff that God won't even want to look at me while I'm doing this. So you either leave church and leave even your practice of prayer with God. Or what I did was compartmentalize. I was like, all right, I'm going to go into this bedroom. God, you stay out here. When I'm done, we can reconnect. (laughs) And all it did was create these fragmented pieces of myself and fragmented pieces of my sexuality. And at that point, I sometimes would really deeply disrespect myself, my body, the body of a partner, maybe a guy that really genuinely liked me and I was just using him for his body. Like those to me are quote sexual sins. When you're not really looking at your partner, when you're not really looking at, am I living a life of sexual integrity or am I shutting myself off? And I think that also brings in the ideas of consent, for example, like if you're just blindly like shutting down, being like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have sex with whoever I want, whenever I want. You can really blur some lines and that can go male, female, or anything in between. I think that, you know, I've probably had there, there's one instance I remember of having sex with someone where I felt like, obviously don't think I like me to him or anything, but you know, I think he really wanted to deeply connect with me person to person. And Mm. I was so shut off to that and so unwilling to do it. You know, it was like, that was an experience of integrity on my end. And I knew it in the bird's eye view when I was finally allowing God to like unpack along with me the choices that I made when I was on this tramp age. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't all bad either, by the way. I had some really beautiful connected experiences with people as well where everyone was completely respected and I felt my body was respected. 
But now in the middle, I am far less promiscuous and I'm in a relationship with somebody and I feel very healthy. I'm not married, but I'm in my 30s. So I'm like, I'm in a sexual relationship. I've already been married. I'm not prioritizing marriage right now. Mm. You know, that's not something I'm going to let disconnect me from God and from my walk in my Christianity. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's really, I mean, that's really fascinating. And there's so many different directions <laughs> to take that, isn't there? Um, I, I'm really intrigued in, um, in your journey through that. So you, you kind of swung backwards and forwards. You kind of stopped up in the middle. You swung to left to right and, you know, all over. But um, you talked a bit about, you know, conviction and shame. And, and, and I wonder if you could talk about how did you navigate that? Because, you know, when we grow up in church, we're, we're given party lines. You know, at the end of the day, that's what so much of our faith is in so many areas of theology. There's a thing that your pastor learned and with the best of intent, he truly believes is good and is best for you. But he himself hasn't even looked into this. He got told it at seminary where they got told it at their seminary. And, you know, it's right. just the, the party line. This is what we believe because we're Baptists or Methodists or charismatic or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you then believe what you believe because you believe it. Um, and you start to doubt it. You start to let go or whatever. But in my experience working with people and personally, um, you then do something against that party line, even if you, even if you've come to a mental, like intellectual ascent that no, I know that that's not wrong. There's still this, this shame and guilt and all these kind of things associated. Now, how do you know when you suddenly feel all the shame and guilt? Well, maybe that's God going, you know, like you, you intellectually figured this out, but are you sure you're not just guilty? Mm -hmm. You know, or you know, wrong or whatever, or. How do, you, how do you navigate that? How did, how did you go about, uh, maybe you didn't experience this, but um, yeah. if you did, was there some process? <laughs> no, I definitely enough? experienced it. Mm -hmm. I would say I, I had to work to separate myself from shame, primarily in sexuality, for probably seven years. Wow. And it was a really rough journey. It was, and that's why I went on this trip, because really banned um because I didn't want shame anymore that was my trying to part desperately from shame um but the first thing that comes to mind is I I love that I learned that in the bible in the um like in the original greek one of the words for satan is diabolos and what that means is to separate and to create division to create chasms to create you know, based just a separation between you and whatever. And I think that when you are processing what is shame and what is conviction, one of the first and easiest ways to identify shame is to notice if it makes you feel separate from God mm -hmm. and separate from yourself. If you notice that it causes you to compartmentalize, to put your sexuality in a box somewhere or to not want to talk to, about, uh, you know, to God about something. If you see separation, that is the work to me of the enemy. Mm. Whether or not you believe Satan is a literal being doesn't even matter. I think that even if someone is you know, an atheist, I think you can still recognize shame if it causes division in your life and separation in any way. And that is just, to me, the satanic concept. Um, and also to me, I do believe in that darkness, literally. <laughs> um, so that is the first tip that I would give. But also, 
I understand and I think that everyone should be really gentle with themselves because I've always been taught, which is beautiful, that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. When Jesus came, he left with us this direct communication to God through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings peace, love, joy, understanding, you know, speaking in tongues, spiritual gifts, gifts of healing, all of these beautiful, beautiful things. So when you sense conviction, it is like, it's like a gentle little prod. And I think that if you, okay, so I think maybe one of the first steps is to actually separate yourself in a good way from anything that is causing you harm. For me, I had to literally leave the church and you know, sometimes I pause to say that to people because I don't want to be someone that's telling people to leave church. But if you are having sexual dysfunction in your life and you feel every time you walk into a certain building or a certain group or you engage in a certain conversation with a certain friend that you are going to feel anxiety and fear and confusion that you need to take yourself out of that situation. And for me, that meant leaving the entire church because the entire church had brought me anxiety and fear in this area of my life. So when I separated myself, then I started allowing myself to find church where I could. And that was within the community of safe people, people that I knew had my back, that I could speak freely with, that I could say, hey, I had a one night stand. I feel like garbage. Can you talk to me about this? Can you even pray with me about this? And there were people that were very willing to do that for me and with me. And we had really earnest, honest conversations that had no shame involved. So I would say, please separate yourself from shame, fear-based people and organizations and start cultivating friendships and spaces and communities where you feel accepted and you feel free to say the truth. Because I think another thing about the Holy Spirit and Christianity is that true Christianity is expressing your truth, no matter how dark, no matter how difficult, and, and having that be received by people that are not going to judge you and are not going to cause you further shame. And then after that, which to me, just to encourage you guys or terrify you, whichever this goes, <laughs> that was like a five-year process. That was not an overnight thing. That was still me struggling deeply to separate shame from God. But then I've noticed, and meditation, I do meditation aligned with God. I consider meditation just sitting still and being with God, and I invite the Holy Spirit in, and I just get quiet. Those are the moments to me, and you can ask him this too, get quiet and say, can you show me what is shame and what is conviction? Mm. Perhaps write down things in your life that you're scared of, like, I masturbated, are you mad at me, God? Just write it down, sit down with God and say, what do you think about this? I slept with my girlfriend last night. What do you think about this, God? I'm not married. And allow yourself to get those answers. And I always pause. I don't want to give people those answers myself. Because again, I think those are individual things. But when you do that, then it's almost easy to feel conviction versus shame. Shame to me, as soon as I feel fear, as soon as my heartbeat speeds up, as soon as I feel like God hates me, 
shame. Mm, yeah. And then conviction is when I feel not guilty, but when I feel like, oh, dang, I messed up. That was bad. Um, but then with that comes, but I can do better. Mm. I know I can do better. I'm excited to do better. I'm excited. And you feel like God is still present and you feel like you're continuing on with your day, but you're acknowledging what you've done wrong. That's conviction. Mm. And I really believe in evangelicalism. We're not taught enough to trust ourselves. We're not reminded enough that we have been given the Holy Spirit. Mm. If we've each been given the Holy Spirit, then we each have this ability to communicate with the Holy Spirit, who is gentle, who is love, who is peace. The Holy Spirit's conviction will never make you feel diabolos, separate from God, ever. You'll feel closer. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. I really like that. You know, I say all the time, you know, it's really pissed me off how much um, people focus on sin separating you from God, where there's nothing in the Bible that says that sin can separate you from God. There's one passage. Amen. Amen. one One passage people think says it. And it's half a verse. If you read the rest of the verse, it's like in Habakkuk and it says, uh, God, you're too holy to look on sin. And the end of the verse is, so why do you? And you're like, how did you not read the last bit of the verse? Oh, um, you just gave me a chill. It's so fascinating, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's that thing, as soon as we separate ourselves from God, because we separate ourselves from God, and God's sitting there going, hi, hi. Yeah, yeah. I'm still mm-hmm. here. And we're like, oh, he's so far from me. No, he can't mm-hmm. be here whatever and I, I think that's so insightful you know to see shame and um and conviction in that way where conviction yeah. is very much god being there with you going, okay let's talk about this let's look at mm-hmm. is it good is it bad let's talk about that whereas the, the, that guilt that shame is always going to be done apart from god because god's exactly. the building you know exactly. and that is never never correct mm-hmm. it's never good uh good thinking well i really yeah. like that really interesting yeah. thank wow. you I also, um, I talked to author Pete Enns, who's someone. Oh, yeah, I love Pete's stuff. I love it. Um, yeah. He wrote this amazing books. One of them is called How the Bible Actually Works. That also oh. releases people from a lot of shame of reading the yeah. Bible literally. And, you know, it's amazing. But he said in our interview, you know, what if God, what if he doesn't even love you? What if he just likes you? <laughs> And that really struck me because I was like, wow, yeah, how often we sit in our bedrooms crying our eyes out, like, and feeling all of this guilt. And you're like, if I have a friend that even just likes me, you know, they're never going to make me feel that way. And God doesn't say he likes us. He says he died for us, that his love for us is infinite and boundless. You know, look at the galaxies and the majesty of this world, like, He loves you. Like there's no, there should be absolutely no shame in that Mm. ever. And to your point again, yes. Like when you are residing in shame, you're not asking God the questions and he can handle any question. Again, just pretend he even likes you even a little bit. Then you are free to say, I feel terrible about masturbating. What, what are your thoughts on this? Mm. And even if that answer comes to you in a year, whatever, if it's really weighing on you, pursue it. Yeah. Don't keep masturbating in shame and then apologizing for it. Just, you know, if you're masturbating, be like, okay, I did it again. I'm not going to separate myself from you. I know I can't separate myself from you. What's up? What are your thoughts? And 
you know, sidebar, I have complete peace about masturbating and I have a very healthy relationship with masturbation, um, in my humble opinion. <laughs> but, you know, I, I actually feel very convicted about watching pornography. That's not something I do, um, primarily because I know from talking to people in the sex industry that not every video you watch is consensual. Yeah. And, and used or you know coerced into those circumstances. Um, 25% apparently of women that are trafficked, or not women, but people that are trafficked are trafficked into the commercial sex industry. Wow. There's always a risk that you're watching trafficked situations. So like, you know, for that reason, I think people having sex on video isn't a sin, but I think you have to consider all of the nuance of circumstances. Yeah. And I, I believe that's why I feel convicted about that particularly. But that is a journey that you should go on yourself mm. too. If pornography is something you engage in, don't listen to me. Don't listen to anybody. Listen to, you know, cultivate your relationship with God. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Do some research on trafficking. See, you know, see if you can find ethically made porn. If you really don't, you know, like... Yeah. Just look at things, look, research, pursue answers to the questions that are gnawing at you. Don't ignore them. Don't do them in shame. Do you think that's one of the, the I mean, to me, when I look at purity culture, when I look at the church, I mean, I, I'd like to say evangelical church, but it's much wider spread even than evangelical uh, church, you know, like, I mean, across the board, much of the church is so steeped in uh, puritanical thought, in uh, demonizing sex and demonizing our bodies and demonizing our sex drives mm -hmm. stuff and um, do you think that um do you think that that in some ways is actually creating more of a problem than it is um bringing uh, a healthy result so yeah maybe watching porn not the most healthy thing for everyone and again i'm not going to judge how other people have come to their conclusions but I think, like you said, there's also the ethical elements. There's also things of how it affects your life. There's also elements as well of like, this is not real sex. This is dramatized sex that looks yeah. good. Might not even feel good for anyone over there, but it looks good for the person watching. This yeah. is also, so, so when I go back to my wife and try out that move or something, it's not going to be fun for anyone. <laughs> right. All sorts of different components where this just isn't helpful. But just demonizing masturbation so people don't watch porn seems like it's kind of like it's missing the point um you know, or, or you know to demonize sex and no one has sex before marriage well all you're doing then is you're creating lots of people going into a marriage where they go i've just spent because we're getting married at reasonable ages now we're not getting sold as child brides so right. you make your pledge at 13 12 15 whatever then you wait another 10 years before you get married you know unless yeah. you're like really really horny you get married to like, <laughs> or whatever to your childhood boyfriend or whatever but you know, when we've spent like 20 years, 10 years, 15 years suppressing all this stuff. Um, and a lot of people, I work with a lot of people day in, day out. And some of the people I talk to, I've got couples that literally just feel utter guilt and shame every time they orgasm. And they're in a married relationship, but it's because mm. they've spent the last 10, 15 years, every time they ejaculate, every time they orgasm, they just feel that weight of shame. Oh, I did this dark, mm. terrible thing. And they carry it into their marriage, you know? So there's... Yeah. There's so much there that we're, we're, we're not preparing people for what we think is this ideal. I say we, you know, I mean, maybe not you and me, but a lot of Christianity, we're not preparing people for this perfect ideal anyway. If anything, we're setting up this perfect ideal to come crashing down. 
Oh yeah, um, very much so. And I think Tina Shermacellas, I had her on the, this podcast um, a couple of years ago now, and uh, she's a sexologist, but she was saying like, she started this whole field of study in purity movement because she's a sexologist working with couples and helping them have better sex lives. And she realized that the majority of the couples that have terrible sex lives were kids that grew up in the purity movement. She mm. could see this big gap where people were fairly healthy and then they had this really unhealthy thing and then started to get a bit healthier again once that kind of lifted a bit because it has lifted thankfully to some degree um mm-hmm. and and i wonder do you have thoughts on, on what we're doing that isn't working and maybe ways we could be teaching in churches because you know, I, I know there's a lot of people that, that listen to this podcast that maybe um somewhat undercover you know uh youth pastors young adults pastors people like that that probably would go i want to be able to teach something that is healthy that is good that is uh, redeeming about sex that might work in my world. Um, you know? oh, I, I um, hope so. I'd love to pastors. Destroying <laughs> stuff, right? I mean, do you have thoughts or insights on, on what we could be doing better? Because I don't Definitely. want to just, you know, shit all over Christianity say we're doing terrible and then just end the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Because so, uh, I think there is stuff we can do, right? Oh, no. I mean, and that's that's another reason that I absolutely refuse to succumb to people that say, well, just don't be Christian or just don't talk to Christians anymore. Because I'm like, no, I am a Christian. I will always be. And I'm going to keep talking to Christians because mm-hmm. I know that we need it. And, and I do it because I have so much faith that we can do better. I know we can do better. Um, like, for example, to me something like the Me Too movement, and we're having a lot of awakenings right now, but, you know, when you see an entire cultural shift, an entire cultural awakening, it's really amazing, and I see God's hand in something like that, and that is something that we shouldn't resist or be scared of. It's something that we need to follow as spiritual people when we're aware of something collectively, um, when we become aware of how deeply and profoundly we've hurt LGBTQ community with our doctrine, when we become aware of the sexual dysfunction we're creating in our youth. Another good example of this is a book called Pure by Linda K. Klein. Um, She's someone I interviewed, she's amazing. She worked for 12 years interviewing and researching people in the evangelical purity movement. And the sexual dysfunction runs so deep, it's so tragic. Like you said, it's people that are married, that were promised all of these fireworks that are now living in very deep sexual dysfunction Mm -hmm. because you can't tell people it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, be ashamed, be ashamed, your body is disgusting for, you know, their entire lives and then be like, oh, but you wore a white dress last night. Shut that off. You're totally fine. Are you surprised that doesn't work? (laughs) That does not work. So... I think that now that these things have come into focus and they're crystal clear and the Bible backs this up, look at the fruits, the the doctrine, the seeds of doctrine that we planted were being gay as a sin. Now we're planting seeds of the act of homosexuality as a sin, which is supposed to be an improvement. It's not, it's still shaming people for who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, planting seeds of save yourself for marriage. You're not pure girls, your chewed up bubble gum, all of those trees became fully grown since the purity movement in the 80s. And we are now seeing the full-fledged adults. We have lost people in the LGBTQ community to suicide. That is the fruit 
of the trees we planted. So something I would like to say to youth pastors is exactly that. Please do your research. Look at, we already have studies and tons of people that can show you and tell you how this doctrine destroyed their lives, their sexual well-being. It's not good seeds. So what kind of seeds do we plant now? This is something that I would be honored to do. Like, I think one of my dreams is to somehow revolutionize sex education in the United States, including in religious organizations. And it's hard to imagine because there are still women. Uh, there's this woman, <laughs> try not to talk trash, but um, she calls herself the activist mommy on Instagram. She has 10 kids and she is hosting an anti-sex education like rally. She's anti-sex education. She put up this stupid post that said something along the lines of, um, we created the need for abortion by pushing sex education on our children. Wow. That is so mind-numbingly stupid to me that I can't even handle it. But, you know, I'm like... And so oh. against all the statistics, right? Because abortion goes down with more sex education. Across the board. That's, that's the other all thing. All countries polled. You know, no, there's no, I know. <laughs> that's anyway. the other thing. Like, we're in the information age, and that's the thing, too. Like, we have access to all these fruit trees. You can taste all of the fruit. You can experience all the fruit it's all there because they're all full-grown trees and they're existing in our society now mm. the trees of abstinence only education that fruit is rotten as hell that fruit mm. is tons of unwanted pregnancies tons of shameful abortions for girls i'm not saying abortion is shameful i'm saying girls living in shame because they were yeah. taught to live in shame people that weren't taught what a condom was that's why you're having abortions because like you know, and a post like that is so infuriating to me because I'm like, kids do not learn about sex because an adult informs them sex exists. As soon as you're in the bathtub and you notice a, your friend has different body parts than you, you are aware of sex. Yeah. You know, like I said, I was aware of sex, sexuality since I was five years old. Mm. So we are in need of comprehensive sex education. And they, the statistics show not only do people that are taught abstinence only or nothing at all are way, way, way more prone to have abortions, to have multiple sex partners, to get STDs. On the converse, those that with comprehensive sex education are known to delay sexual activity by up to five years. Mm -hmm. Because what you're doing is giving, empowering children, empowering teenagers, empowering young adults with information. You give them information. You give them wide access to it. You tell them everything about pornography and how it can cause certain dysfunction in your relationship, in your life. So then you can make a, an educated decision. A 13-year-old boy can see his friends pulling up the computer, ready to watch some really, you know, damaging abusive porn and that boy will be able to recognize wait no i i've been taught differently than this this isn't sex this isn't going to be healthy for us you know like empowerment education is everything we cannot keep our children away from this information and by the way good luck again have you heard of the internet oh, seriously 
It's crazy. If you're not teaching your kids about sex, I have a friend whose eight-year-old Googled boobs because he wanted to know what boobs were. Guess what came up? Hardcore pornography, yeah. gang bangs. She walked in wow. on her eight-year-old son watching a gangbang video. Wow. And when she sat him down and asked how he got there, he said, I Googled boobs. It took him to Pornhub. First page of Pornhub, if anyone is aware of this, is very abusive porn. They're not just not like- educational videos on boobs? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, this is the gland on the boob. No, it's, you know, and it's not even, uh, let alone educational. It's not even oh, it's like a pizza guy coming in and having sex with a woman. It's yeah, it's gaping really body parts and unnatural situations and women being hit and spit in the face uh, and, you know, ejaculated on. And, you know, it's just like, fine if you enjoy any of those things god bless like do your thing consensually but your eight-year-old child will find that as quick as a search of boobs yeah Yeah. so make your make your choice i think are are, uh, on average i know in the uk i don't know what it is in america but i watched the stat in the uk i saw uh recently that i think most um males have seen porn by the age of 10 and i think most females have seen porn by the age of 11 or 12 um, yeah. Okay. Like it's, it's a mass majority, like up to 80, 90 percent. Right. You're talking like almost every child at this point is going to watch porn, whether you like yeah. it or not. So you exactly. need to have that conversation, and you certainly want to be educating children about things that don't look like that, right? I mean, like they are healthy, holistic, good conversations. And um, I remember my conversation with Tina. She was saying that they've done studies on um, on family connection. And the, they did a, a study on what keeps children connected to their parents long-term, so well into adulthood, which type of kids stay connected to their parents. And she said the number one correlation for a child staying close to her parents or his parents until well into adulthood is if the parents talked with them about sex as a child. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? Um, and so it's just so, so important that we're having these conversations. And, and I think there is this, uh, you know, a lot of Christians almost outsource it to the, the youth group. I know my parents didn't <laughs> sex. I think when I was no, 15, my dad once said, you're going to use a condom? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, good. And that oh, was the whole sex talk. And I was a pastor's kid. I mean, like, like, he just didn't want to have, go there. And bless him, he, he probably just couldn't. I don't think my dad has the, the communicative uh, background for that. Um, but like in church, all we talked about was sex. Like right. every week it was, all right, boys, you split up with the girls and the girls would go over there and talk about whatever the girls talked about, but largely revolving around sex, singleness, keeping yourself pure or whatever. And the boys every week go, all right, guys, we watched porn this week, who masturbated? And oh, well, let's beat yourself up and feel bad or let's get <laughs> accountability groups. Maybe a group of like four teenage boys trying to keep each other accountable when all of them are viciously addicted to porn doesn't seem like a really good teamwork exercise you know it's like it's it's yeah by the way like what if our sex education boys should sorry heterosexual boys or any boy interested in having sex with a woman should be taught about the existence of a clitoris and how to please women female anatomy I'm like, yes, these situ- these conversations might be awkward, but you know what? Yeah. Get someone in there that doesn't feel awkward. I'll talk to teenagers about sex all day long. Mm-hmm. It would be my pleasure. I would love to. 
And, you know, to separate boys and girls and tell them about all of the don'ts and all of the have-nots and can-nots and all of the promises of riding off into the sunset with your wife and having a million orgasms on the beach, although I definitely never heard the word orgasm in church, um, you know, it's like, well, then educate these straight boys that are about to get married on the clitoris and how to please the woman educate the girls on the fact that their hymen is going to break that it's going to be painful that it might take you know 10 times before sex feels remotely good teach them about foreplay and how to turn their wives on and get them ready for sex because i also have christian friends because we talk about sex in the broadest sense and all about the nose and we never actually talk about sex so you're telling these kids that everything's going to be perfect and that it's going to be amazing, but then they get into the bedroom with all of this shame. I have a friend who, you know, her husband wanted to have sex on their wedding night, which is understandable. You've built up all of this stuff, but men and women are different. Mm -hmm. She told me she felt violated and she cried wow. afterwards and she couldn't tell anyone she was violated because it was her husband and she felt like I have to give him this thing. But they never had foreplay. He never saw her naked. They barely even kissed before they were married. So all of a sudden, a woman with all of her vulnerabilities was supposed to, at 18 years old, get stark naked, open her legs, and let her husband into her. And, you know, and, it, and it's like, yes, why would that not feel violating? Women need so much more buildup and so much in general. Um, women need so much more than that. And the boys aren't taught that. And, it, and it's, it's dysfunctional for both. I don't think any man with any remote sense of morality would want to imagine their wife feels violated on her wedding night. No, no. But I guarantee you a lot of these girls did feel violated or, or at least terrified on their wedding nights because it's too abrupt. You know, you're not leading up to it. Also, too, if you want kids to save themselves from marriage so desperately... At least tell them, you know what, you guys should take a month or two exploring one another's bodies, having a real relationship like everyone else in the world does. Like, I don't know of many people, I, I certainly didn't do it. You kiss someone first, then you give your first blowjob to somebody, then you, you know, or you get your boobs touched once over here, and there's a buildup. And then by the time you have sex, you've had all of this exploration. And Christian couples, even if they're committed to saving themselves from marriage, and I, I'll, I'll promote that if that's what you want and that's your choice. But even in that, it's like you guys deserve buildup. You guys deserve to court and yeah. you know, figure out your bodies. Which brings me to, I think, the probably the most important thing that I would like to say to anyone that's educating Christians on sexuality. The demonization of our body is the largest misstep mm. and oversight and tragedy in the Christian church. Like God manifested himself, if you believe it, into the form of the human being. If he did that, how shameful can the body be? Jesus Christ was the embodiment of all things holy and all things godly, and he manifested himself in a body. Therefore, he's walking around, he has BO, he's yeah. pooping, he yeah. is, you know, getting cut and scraped. He's bleeding. In his yeah. death, it's violent and gory and painstaking. His body went through everything. And by the way, there's no proof that he never experienced sensuality or sexuality. Yeah. 
Oh, he probably got awkward erections as a teenager and all of the good stuff. Right. No one likes to think of Jesus with an awkward erection. Right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like, even if you are committed to believing, no, yeah. you never had sex. Never again, is nowhere reflected in the Bible. I can't prove that he had sex. You can't prove that he didn't have sex. It's not in there. But we can guarantee if he had a human body, yes, he went through puberty. He had awkward erections. He a Wet dream. He had wet dreams. Right. No one wants to think about Jesus on <laughs> trying to hide the sheets from his mom. <laughs> yeah. And I can't prove it again, but, you know, the Mary Magdalene connection and the sensual relationship they had, even mm. the woman that came in and, you know, I think one of the most beautiful things is, too, we're taught that our body is supposed to be perfect and so and so and don't anything, file it. When the woman came in begging for forgiveness from him and she broke the alabaster jar of perfume and she got down on her, I feel like I'm going to cry, she got down on her hands and knees and wiped his dirty feet with her hair. Mm. What is more sensual than that? And sensual doesn't have to be synonymous with sexual. Just talking about sensuality. This woman, dirty, bare, feeling unworthy, did this act that... I mean, imagine if you did that to somebody, that would be the most sensual, profound expression of love and honor and like mm. giving yourself over to someone. Yeah. And in our sexual lives, to me, that is maybe going down on someone. That to me is like such a, I am serving you. I mm. love you. I'm giving myself over to you in this way. And, you know, submitting to this thing for your pleasure and you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make that experience sexual in the Bible. No, yeah, I'm yeah. not saying that, but I'm just saying like that was a profound act that was not dignified, that showed both of their bodies. His feet were dirty. Her hair was in the mix, you know, and yeah. that is sensual. Jesus was not ashamed of body. Jesus healed broken bodies, bodies that no one else even wanted to touch, lepers, people with demonic, you know, influences inside of them. Anyone who touched him, he welcomed. There's no shame of the body in Christ's walk. And we should not, no longer ever, ever, ever teach our teens, children, young adults, that there's anything shameful about our bodies. We should instead be teaching them the savior had a body and that's why you honor it. That's why yeah. you don't go sleeping with random strangers without a condom. Because your savior had a body. You have a body. Respect it. Honor it. Love it. Treat it with dignity. That's really good. I, I know we're running at 10 minutes. So many areas I would <laughs> love to take that. I mean, even just you're saying that, I'm thinking of like, you know, the woman thrown at his feet naked. And like, Jesus doesn't hypersexualize her. He doesn't go, no. woman, why are you naked? But, you know, like, oh, you trying to be promiscuous. It's, it's so fascinating that we, we cannot, we, we at the same time make everything sexual. And then mm-hmm. uh, in another sense, we try and make nothing sexual. You know, and it's like we, we live in these like completely extremes, these dualisms. Um, I'd love yeah. to talk with you more about that because I feel like you have lots of great stuff to say, but uh, I, I got crucified on uh, uh, on Instagram and Facebook recently for posting about that, you know, this this, this obsession with the female uh, form and how they are responsible for men sexualizing it. 
and and I know we're running out of time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up anyway. But maybe we could have you back on and we could talk about that because I feel like you have some great stuff to share on that. Oh, um, I got a lot of <laughs> on modesty culture. Oh God, it makes me so angry because this is European. So in the UK, we're very puritanical as well. But I go over to Europe all the time. It's like saunas. It's mixed sex, and there's beautiful people walk around naked, and I'm walking around naked. And you know what? I'm not accidentally having sex with them. I'm not having sexual thoughts. With them. It's just <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really yeah. normal. But they did it since kids. You know, and and so it, it takes a culture to make that sexual, not right. You know, it's not inherently sexual. And, yeah, I think we could uh, have some good conversation about that. But anyway, we need to wrap up because I know you've got another uh, appointment. Um, but where can people find out more about you? How can people follow you? How can people um, dig into more of your stuff? Because I know a lot of the stuff we touched on, you've got videos on that and all sorts of great resources. Um, yeah. Go for it. Um, I, have, I have been on YouTube for about a year and a half. So I have a lot of videos that touch on a lot of different subjects that I think and I hope and pray would help people out. Everything from marijuana to politics to the environment to sexuality, masturbation, everything. Modesty culture, purity culture for sure. Um, LGBTQ issues. So that is YouTube. Um, and just search God is Grey, G-R-E-Y. Um, and then I also have a podcast, which is under the same name, and that's on like Apple, Spotify, Google, and it's, it's on a lot of different podcast sites. Yeah. So just search God is Gray, the podcast, and you'll find it. And I'm on Instagram at God is Gray, Twitter at God is Gray, XO. Cool. And if you have any questions, oh, I was going to say email me. I'm like so backed up in emails though. I hate emails but... so much. Like, <laughs> so, so much. I just have so... thousands and I just give up. I just stop. I know. It's so hard. That yeah. is goddessgrayxo at gmail.com. Okay. I'm hoping one day I will have a team that I work with that can finally comb through those emails because I do, I do read them and I do appreciate them so okay. deeply. And obviously if you want to connect or if you have a podcast or a work opportunity, I would love to to spread yeah. the message as much as someone possible. has a christian youth group you can come and speak to oh That's my a, gosh great, I, right? would, I would be overjoyed mm -hmm. i would love i would fly anywhere any day i would so if you're feeling really really brave <laughs> and you're not that attached to your paycheck come, please buy uh brenda to come and uh, speak to you <laughs> yeah i would i would love 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 be great. by the way i would respect you as well i'd respect your oh, boundaries we would have you know i'm not um you know, an anarchist. I'm super down to be respectful, but I think that, yes, it could really help steer people and help their youth groups and their community have more healthy, positive conversations about sexuality. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. It's been great. Yeah, this was fun. Nice to meet you. Yeah, it's great to meet you. Okay, that was Brenda Marie Davies. I really hope you enjoyed that podcast. I had a great time chatting with her. What a um, a fascinating person with such um, rich insights and experience in this area and and someone that has done the work, done the research to back up um, where she's coming from. And so if you want to go deeper into what she was talking about, I really do recommend you check out her stuff. Um, YouTube, God is Grey. Grey is G-R-E-Y uh, for all you uh, uh, Brits. Um, and uh, God is Grey on Instagram. I follow her on Instagram and she's got a great account there. Um, on Twitter, God is Grey XO. And her email again is God is Grey XO at gmail.com. And so, yeah, do get in touch with her. Do um, follow her stuff. 
track with what she's saying. Check out her podcast. She has some great interviews over there as well. Um, but yeah, I really hope you enjoyed that. Um, as always, we'll uh, see you again for another interview or maybe some ramblings of mine in the next podcast. And until then, check out thegracecourse.com um, for videos on all these interviews, all of my talks, everything there is free. Um, and if you want to support what I'm doing at uh, my ministry, you can support me over there at thegracecourse.com as well. That gives you access to our partners discussion group and a monthly chat that we have. Um, and that's about it because I can't really give you much because everything is free that I do. So I'm sorry, no big perks for supporting me, but you get the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing that you're helping me give out lots of great free resources um, to anyone and everyone. Anyway, I'll leave it there and I will see you next time. Be blessed, my friends. Much love.